Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning at 1030 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. This week we continue our study in the Gospel according to John. We're in John chapter 8 with a message from Pastor Joel, marked by grace. We're going to continue our series in the Gospel according to John. We're in the 8th chapter. I'd like to read uh, the first 11 verses this morning. John 8, it's actually chapter 7 in verse 53. We'll get to there later. Uh, The very end of chapter uh, 7, I'd like to begin the sermon uh, from the Word of God, which I think every sermon should start from the Word of God. So John 8, actually verse 53. Uh, They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. Now all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Well, this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you, be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. We'll stop right there. Let's pray. Lord, as we come uh, to your word this morning, Lord, I pray that your words would be alive. They wouldn't return void. Lord, they would uh, pierce our hearts in ways that they need to be pierced, that they would encourage and challenge, uh, rebuke where it needs to be rebuked. And Lord, would we know you better? Would we love you better as we leave this morning? That we wouldn't leave here the same as when we came here. We'd be more confident in who you are and what you're calling us to be. So Lord, open our eyes that we can see, open our ears that we can hear, soften our hearts that we can understand your word this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before we get to this story, this, this text, I actually want to Uh, introduce you to a friend of mine. He was a Portland police officer, and then he transferred uh, to Gresham. Uh, He's a unique guy. His name was Mark DeLong. Uh, A couple of our first responders that are here at the church, they know who uh, he is as well. When when I first was a chaplain for Gresham Police Department, I went on many ride-alongs with Mark uh, DeLong, since he's been retired now for uh, a couple years. Uh, 
Mark DeLong was one-of-a-kind guy. He was a, a deep Christian. He was a Christian first and an officer second. So as I went on these ride-alongs with Mark, we would be in Rockwood, and he would be running along, and there would be this group of, like, looks like thugs on the sidewalk, and he'd slow down and be like, hey, you guys need anything? You guys doing all right? We're here to serve and protect. So if there's something I can do to serve you guys, let me know. We, we're, I'm here to serve you. And I'm like... And the guys were like that too, like, what is going on with this guy? One time in the middle of the night, this lady uh, was kind of out of her mind. Uh, it was a homeless a lady walking across the street. A bunch of calls came in. We come over to her, and uh, she's pretty messed up. And uh, Mark is like, look, you can't be walking in my streets. You're going to get yourself hurt or somebody else hurt. So as an officer, I need to tell you, you need to get help. But as a Christian, you need Jesus. And I'm like, What? He's retired, so I don't think anything's going to go bad to him now. But that's just kind of the guy that, that he was. There was a call that came out uh, right before he re- retired, and it was in Rockwood again. It was the call right on the border between Rockwood and Gresham, and there was this lady who was having a mental breakdown and had this pole, and at the end of it was this knife, and she was threatening to hurt or kill her family members uh, just out of her mind. So, so everyone here is like, okay, there's a weapon involved with it. There's threats of hurt. So everyone gums in force uh, to this place. And, and so when Mark DeLong shows up on scene, there's already 50 officers with their long rifles pulled, all aiming at this, this lady. Uh, this lady who, who happened to be born a different uh, gender than she was and was having this mental breakdown. This, is, this it looked like a, a caged animal uh, that had been uh, cornered and was thrashing about at all the op- officers, uh, like trying to, to even stab them. When Mark DeLong pulled up, he, he, he pulls up and he asks him, has anyone tried to talk to her? And they're like, uh, no, I don't think so. She's like out of, her, out of her mind. No one's tried to talk to her. So he puts his gun away and approaches her and in this fatherly, soft voice goes, hey, can can we talk? Can you just put that down? Those are some beautiful flowers on your deck. I bet you had something to do with that, didn't you? He, this isn't really you, is it? I, I, know you're more, I know you're more than this. Can, let's just put the knife down and let's just talk. And a couple minutes goes by, and 50 officers with rifles on this lady uh, see this lady put the knife down and embrace Mark with the biggest hug you've ever seen. Now, not all stories end up that way, uh, but this lady had encountered the grace that marked DeLong's, marked DeLong's life. Uh, he went in and, and, and talked to her where everyone else was like, hey, I mean, they, did, they were following protocol. They were doing the right thing, but to encounter uh, that grace You see, DeLong, Officer DeLong's life was marked with grace. And in the same way today, as we come to our text, we're going to see that it's grace that should mark all of us as Christians, our lives. Grace that shapes and defines us as who we are as believers. Now, probably right away, at least at the beginning, you're thinking, yeah, okay, I get it. I know grace, but, but uh, where's, where's truth? Where's justice? Uh, you just can't let like crazy people run around with spears, right? Like there has to be some, like where does that come in? Uh, 
if you just offer grace to everyone, won't there just be chaos and, and evil? So what does offering grace look like as a Christian? As a believer, what does it mean to be marked by, by grace? Well, this brings us back to our text. And we're going to see Jesus interact with really two sets of uh, people here. Uh, he'll interact with this woman who's caught in adultery as there's a group of people standing there. And then he's going to interact with these group of Pharisees. Uh, the adulterous woman who knows she's sinful, she's broken, uh, she knows she's done wrong, and the, and the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, who think we've done nothing wrong. We are just fine. And in these two stories, we're going to see three things. And this will kind of be our outline for today. We'll see three things. We'll see the example of grace. We'll see the need for grace. And then the response to grace. We'll see the example of grace in this, in this life of this uh, adulterous woman who, who Jesus interacts with. We'll see the need for grace as Jesus talks to the Pharisees and tries to open their eyes so they would see, you need grace. And then the last thing we'll look at is the response to grace. And before we get there, though, uh, if you have your Bibles open, and we have pew Bibles, and if you want to open them, it's on page 840. And you'll see something uh, interesting in written in there, uh, that if you're a, an observant student of the Bible and you're, you, you know how to read, you'll see these words within brackets uh, above this section uh, of the adulterous woman. Do, do you see it there? It says, the earliest manuscripts do not include 753 to 811. So I just want uh, to touch on that, and then we'll... Uh, We'll continue on with the message. Without chasing a bunch of rabbit trails uh, of what's going on here, I just want to say three things, and then I want to invite you to something next week. Uh, so without chasing a bunch of rabbit trails, here's the three things I want to say. Uh, number one, this story is not found in any of the earliest manuscripts. Not a one. Scholars all agree it's not there. It was not written in the earliest manuscripts. So when they say, not written down in the earliest manuscripts, that's just the truth. It's not, it's not there. Number two, here's point number two, though. They also agree, all of these scholars, that this story is true. Uh, perhaps the scandalous nature, nature of forgiving a woman caught in adultery would have given uh, permission for other younger women, and so they just translated it uh, orally for a long time until someone said, well, we always tell this story there. Why don't we just write it? Down. That's one of the, the theories. They agree the story is true, but it was just passed along orally rather than uh, in written form. The third point is this, is that this story does not detract or add anything to the Word of God. Uh, if anything, it supports and helps clarify. Um, this opens up a whole can of worms. It's called textual criticism. Uh, textual criticism is the art of taking these old manuscripts that we have and how did we get to the Bible that we got to today. If you're interested in textual criticism, which is kind of a nerdy thing, and, uh, I want to invite you next week to Rooted Connections, which is at 9 o'clock, and we're going to spend an hour just like 3,000-foot view of textual criticism, how we got the Bible the way we, way we got. And, and you'll, there's some interesting things in there. It's, it's kind of geeky, but it's, it's kind of interesting to see uh, the Bible that we have today. And how, after just even one class, I don't know very much of textual criticism. I just know like a little bit of it. But how after that one class, I'm more convinced today that we have the accurate word of God than they, they even did 100 years ago. And you're thinking the further away you get, I think the less trustworthy it would be. But I think actually the, it's the opposite. The more trustworthy it is today, I'm convinced. 
that, that what we have is the Word of God. So here's how I'm approaching uh, this story today, and then, then we're going to move on. Uh, I'm, I'm approaching it, recognizing that this story has been uh, transferred, has been told, has been saved and preserved, both orally and in written form, uh, until today. And so there's something in this story that we have to learn. And I think it actually fits the whole text, and you'll, you'll see that at the end, hopefully, as well. Uh, there's something in this story that God has for us this morning. So, so let's look. Here's point number one, the example of grace. I, I've already read uh, the story. Um, Jesus is there teaching at the temple, and these people bring this woman and toss her down and say, we caught her in the act of adultery. What do you think we should do? The Moses, in God's word, says we're supposed to stone her. What do you, what do you say we're supposed to do? Uh, now, this whole scene is, is just... Um, uh, it, it, it's just got lots of questions in it. If you, if you slow down and you uh, actually consider what they're, what they're doing. These Jewish leaders say, we caught her in the act of adultery. So you're like, where were you at catching, a, right? You caught her? Like, where, were you like in a brothel? Like a brothel? Or were you just happened to be in someone's bedroom? Or like, where, where were you that you caught her? In the act of, and if you caught her in the act of it, then there, there should be two of you here, right? We caught her in the act. Well, where's the guy then? Like, why is it only, why is it only this lady? Where, who is this other guy? And is it maybe it was one of the leaders? Like, who, there's just so many questions uh, that, it, that it brings up. And, and really, the truth of the matter is, uh, they're just doing this to test Jesus. They're trying to trap him. And they actually don't care if this woman dies or not, because they want to trap Jesus. They have no concern over her at all. They bring her before Jesus and throw at her feet, let's trap him. We all know she deserves death. In Leviticus, verse 20, or chapter 20 and verse 10, this, now this is the word of God. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. She is thrown before Jesus on death row. There are uh, like 50 guys around her, all with rifles, stones in hand. Uh, and here is the woman, scared, alone, shamed, broken. Where's the guy that was just with her and said, I love you, I'll protect you? And in this chaotic scene with the emotions going, they're trying to trap Jesus. There's emotions of these women. There's these questions of what is going on. Jesus bends down and writes something uh, in the ground. I wish they would have told us what was written, don't you? Uh, whatever it was, though, they seem to connect it to uh, the, the Jews leaving in order from oldest to youngest. So, so there seems to be some, some kind of purpose in what he was writing and then he stands up and says, he who is without sin, throw the first stone. And then drops back down and writes again. And it's almost like this, the, the scene slows down as you hear a thump. And the older guy leaves. A thump. Another guy drops his stone and, and leaves. And another guy, and another guy, until you hear thump, 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 thump. And then everyone leaves. And you get from this chaotic scene of 
these emotions with guns drawn and spears and all this stuff, lights and sirens going on to all of a sudden it just becomes this intimate scene between Jesus and this scared woman on death row. And he says, where, where are your accusers at? She says, no, they're, they're all gone. Jesus says, well, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. She was on death row and had been pardoned. Given new life, go and sin no more. This is a it's warming, isn't it? It's encouraging. It's like, oh, this is just such a, a great story. But then you're like, but what about the command of God? Where's the justice in this? Where's the justice of this, this woman's husband who's going, she just gets off? She cheats on me and just leaves? What about the man that swept with the woman? Like, there was no justice for, for him. He should have been brought up. Why can you just drop the stones and leave? Where's the justice? Where's the truth at? Well, I want you to, in your mind at least, leave all those stones on, on the ground just, just for a minute. Uh, just leave those stones for right there, and we'll, we'll pick them up at the end of the story. Here, here's the second point. Point number two, the need for grace. The need for grace. And, and we're going to see that everyone sitting here today, no matter how pretty you look and how nice you, have, you think you have things put together, we're all in desperate need of grace. We, we all need it. And as we come to Jesus, who is the light and exposes who we are, our thoughts and actions and minds, we hopefully get to the point where we're like, oh yeah, I need grace. Look in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing false witness about yourself. Your testimony, it's not true. Verse 21, just skipping down a little bit. So, so he said to them again, I, I'm going away, and where you seek me, oh, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Once more, skipping down to verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide in My word, you are truly My disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered Him, oh, we're, we're offsprings of Abraham, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, now if you know anything about Jewish history, th to say we have never been enslaved to anyone is ludicrous. Now, what about the Egyptians? Oh yeah, well, there was a short period of 400 years that we were <laughs> enslaved. What about the Assyrians? Well, yeah, they came and destroyed us and carted us off. Uh, what about the Babylonians? Well, yeah, well, that was a little bit of 70 years. Uh, uh, what about the Persians? Okay, them too. How about the Greeks? Oh, a little bit. The Romans that are there right now. You're not enslaved to anyone? 
The truth of the matter is they were, they were totally blind and that they weren't even enslaved to almost everybody. They were enslaved to sin as well, and they couldn't see it. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in his house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. We'll just stop right there. I want to pause just right here and offer, offer you two challenges uh, to help us understand this need for grace in both other people and, and yourself as well. Here's, here's the first one, the first challenge. We need a change of perspective sometimes. We need a change of perspective. You know, this is a, this is a little self, uh, self-revealing. When I read these stories, when I read the adulterous woman and she's forgiven, uh, there is something that is like warm and compassionate, and I'm like, oh, that's so awesome. Uh, and I read the story of the Pharisees, and I'm like, those evil, they just, what wicked brutes. They got what they were deserving, right? I have this compassion for this woman, and yet for, for these Pharisees, I have this judgment and condemnation. And, and I think what's interesting about it is as I read about the Pharisees, I actually like, it's actually revealing that I'm kind of a Pharisee. The way I look at the Pharisees, I'm, I'm, like, a, I'm like a Pharisee. Because here's the truth of the matter. Both, both of these people, the, the woman and the Pharisees, they were both sinful, right? They were actually both, and, and the story really says they're both on death row. Both of them. Both of them were offered the grace of God. And yet, when I look at the adulterous woman, I, I want to see forgiveness, and I look at the Pharisees, and I say, let's get them. Why, why is that? I think it's sometimes the perspective that we see the world through, how we look at, at people. I, I think we can look at people through two different lenses. Uh, there's a lens of, of right and wrong, and there's a lens of broken and whole. Right and wrong or broken and whole. Uh, when we look at people, uh, groups of people, uh, or even individual people, we say, that group is right, that group is wrong. I'm right, Dan is wrong. And when I do that, when I put that filter on, when I say Dan is wrong, I'm condemning and judging him. But when I look at Dan and see a broken person who needs healing and forgiveness and restoration and to become whole, all, all, of a sudden, all of a sudden my heart changes towards Dan. It's not that I'm right and he's wrong. He, he's broken. He needs a savior. One, one brings judgment and one brings peace. So I think for all of us to, to stop and go, before we evaluate that crazy person ahead of us in the grocery store line or, or that coworker who's doing you know what, uh, bef- before looking and uh, evaluating them, think, am I, am I judging this? As, am I right and they're wrong? Or they're right and I'm wrong? Or, or, or am I judging they're broken and need of a, a savior? 
Uh, here, here's the next challenge. So first challenge is what perspective are you looking at? The second challenge is this. Uh, we need to extend grace to the level that we have received it. We need to extend grace to the level that we have received it. Uh, when I became a police chaplain, I actually went down to the academy in Salem. It's a very unique experience. I uh, spent a week there uh, in this con like condensed course of police chaplaincy stuff. One of the courses that they did was the, like, the description of a first responder, like the characteristics of a first responder. Uh, and I don't know if any of, we, any of our first responders are here today. Uh, the Coxes are in Hawaii right now, so they don't care about this at all. <laughs> um, so they described a first responder, and you know, uh, so that's police, oh, we do have a first responder here. We have a fire guy uh, right there. So I'm just gonna use you, I know Mike pretty well. So first responders are unique, unique individuals, and they're really, uh, those guys are pretty messed up, uh, honestly. There's some, <laughs> I'm just saying, there's something about first responders, the way that God has made them, and the people that are like, yeah, I'm gonna be first responder, there, there's some awesome strengths in them, and then there's some really, things that are off. And we spent an hour, no, just bear with me here. We spent an hour in this class as chaplains diagnosing a first responder and going, man, those guys and girls, they need help. They really need, they really need help. And we're all talking about, man, yeah, I can see that in them, and yeah, I can see that in them. And then the instructor at the very end and goes, oh, here's a little interesting tidbit of fact too. Uh, they did the study, and they actually found out that chaplains have the exact same personality traits as the, first, as the first responders. You would not believe how quiet that room got. We were such an, engaged in dialogue, and oh, yes, aren't, oh, yes, those guys are, they show, they have this and this, oh, yeah. Well, they, and then when he said that, I think every one of us as chaplains went, <gasps> we've, for an hour, we've just talked about ourselves. We've just, like... We've totally diagnosed our own, our own hearts in this. And realizing that the, that the grace that we're to give out is because of the grace that we've received. We're not chaplains. I'm just using this as an example. We're not chaplains because we got it figured out and first responders don't. We're chaplains because we're like uh, beggars who have found food and are telling other beggars where to find food. That's what it is. And, and as Christians, that's what your job is. You're, you're beggars and poor that have found food, and your job is to go out to other beggars and poor and go, I, I found some food. When you realize the depths of the grace to which you have received from Jesus, it'll change. It'll change your perspective. It'll change the, the level of grace that you give to someone else. And so if you're, you're stingy with that grace to other people, and you're like, yeah, this person deserves grace, this person really doesn't, you've just reflected on how much grace you've received from Jesus. Like, I'm good enough to this point, and then Jesus, he fills in a little bit for me. And you don't actually understand the depravity of your sin and the brokenness and rebellion in you. If you understand that, you'll extend grace to other people to the extent that you've received it. That's kind of sobering, right? So all those broken people out there that are messed up, Jesus goes, you know, that's actually you too, right? Let's come to the last point, the response to this, this grace. I'm going to read the last little section here, verse 48. The response to grace. The Jews answered him, 
Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? No, you are not. Verse 49, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. How are we supposed to respond to the grace that we have received so lavishly from, from God? Three things from, from this text. The first one you find in verse 49. We, we honor the Father. We honor the Father above everything. You know, Jesus steps in for this adulterous woman, and he's actually okay with everyone else thought of him. You can think of me however you want to. All I'm doing is I'm honoring my father. Honoring my father, which meant I'm loving the unlovable. I'm offering grace. I'm stepping in where all these 50 guns are pointed, and I'm stepping into that place to offer grace to someone. DeLong told me, I actually gave him a call earlier this week, asked him if I could use this, that story, and he said, absolutely, but tell them it's not me. I've only received the grace from Jesus, and I'm reflecting, I'm reflecting him. He also said, I had, when I got there that moment, he's a senior guy, he said, I had to give that moment where I, didn't have, I could care less about what the other, other officers thought of me. What did they thought? What a weakling. Why would you help this woman out? She's out, of her, she's out of her mind. I had to get to the point where I didn't care what other people thought of me. I just want to say, how do I honor my father above all? We honor the father above all. Here's, here's the second thing. We keep his word. You find this uh, a couple times in, in the text. In verse 52, you see it. We keep his word. And you really see that here, uh, what motivates righteous living is grace. This grace that, that, that God uh, offers is, it should motivate righteous living. The, the law actually will condemn and judge. Uh, grace actually motivates to keep the law. You'll keep the law. There's this deep love and devotion for the grace that you've received from Jesus uh, that doesn't play out in like these legalistic fashions, but this, this desire inside of you, this affection that draws you to the grace that God has given you, that you just want to be, you want to be near Him. You want to, be, you want to live a life of thankfulness to Him. Uh, I want to be near Amy. I want to go on a date with Amy, not because uh, in marriage codes it says, every week you shall date your wife and kiss her on the mouth. I, I do that because I love her. 
right? I want to be with her. Uh, I, I want to keep this relationship in, intact because of my desire for, for her. And, and if you understand the grace that you've been received from Jesus, there, there's going to be this desire to keep his word, to, to know his word, to read his word, uh, to try and emulate and reflect him the best you can. Here's the third point. We point people to Jesus. With the grace that you've received, we point people to Jesus. Now, grace does not negate justice. I think you need to hear that. Grace does not negate justice. There is a price that has to be paid. Uh, For this woman caught in adultery, she was to be stoned to death. But Jesus steps in front of her, in front of this angry mob. And now remember those stones that were dropped at the beginning of the story? They're picked up again. Did you see that? They pick them up, but this time it's not to throw them at the woman, it's to throw them at Jesus. Jesus steps in the place as a substitute for this woman, and justice will be satisfied. Jesus could say to the woman, then I don't condemn you either. Because he knew he was going to the cross and was going to pay the penalty for her sin with his own life. He was going to step in as a substitute in front of those stones. I know you deserve death, but I'm going to step in and take that death on myself. And if you will accept that, if you will accept that grace, it will change your whole life. We don't offer grace because we ignore abuse, Rebellion, sin, the only answer to the injustice in our world and to offer grace is to point to to Jesus. It's the only way we have. And Jesus, in the place of uh, the cross and the resurrection, uh, then offers this grace upon grace upon grace. It's the song Amazing Grace that saved a wretch like me. Not a kind of bad guy like me, a wretch like me. In our depravity of our sin, we are total enemies of Jesus. And Jesus says, I'll take that penalty on myself and I'll lavish on you grace upon grace upon grace. Amazing grace. And if God can offer you grace, then here's the good news, Christian. You're free to offer grace to others. You're free to offer grace because of the price Jesus paid. So as Christ followers, then we should... Be marked by grace. That when people interact with you, even on their worst day, that they'll leave and go saying, there's something different about that person. I've just encountered the grace of God that has spilled out of that person's life. So may we, as Hollyview Church, be a church that's marked by the grace of Jesus. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon. Or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word, to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, Thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.